You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, I am John Spirisavet here with Mark Israel. Hey, Mark. Hi, John. We're meeting each other right now at this hour for the first time because of the podcast, because of our common friend, Elliot Goldberg, who Elliot and I did a, an episode and who's actually coming back shortly. It's great to meet you and tell us how you do your rabbiing. I am in Rockville, Maryland at Tikvat Israel Congregation. It's a small conservative congregation that's very Hamish. I've been here for about three years. I've been in the Washington area for most of my career in a few different places. Great. Hamish is a great word for kind of down to earth and yeah. and not putting on airs. It's one of my favorite Jewish descriptions. <laughs> and so more importantly in getting to know you is which of the main Good Place characters do you think you're most like? Uh, that's a tough one. Who would I most want to be like? We'll get to that one too, or you can start there, either way. Yeah, I think it may be aspirational, but I, I think Eleanor, in terms of the openness to always uh, working towards improvement. That's your who you want to be or who you who you are? <laughs> I, think, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't uh -huh. think I was ever quite as nasty as Eleanor was, and I don't know that I ever got to the level of scholarship that she... Uh. <laughs> Yeah. She achieved with cheating, but the notion of you got to try and, and, and that wherever we are, we can do one step better. Yeah. So is that your who you are and you who you'll strive to be? Both. Exactly. All right. Excellent. And how about your origin story for The Good Place? How did you first get into this show? So I gave a sermon. I don't remember what year. I think it was it was a high holiday sermon that dealt with issues of the afterlife. And afterwards, one of the congregants came up and said, that was great. You have to watch The Good Place. Ooh. And I had never heard of it, and but I really respected this guy. So I went back on his recommendation and started watching it and was totally hooked. And then the next year, so that was probably 2017. All right. Was that the first year of the show? I think so. Anyway, so the next year, I was teaching in a high school program. And yeah, as I had been watching it, was driving my kids crazy by saying, oh, that's just like when Judaism says X or Y. <laughs> or no, 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 that, that can't be it. And so I was asked to teach a high school class and basically given carte blanche and said, oh, this is something that kids will be interested in. And indeed, they, they were all really into the show. Well, half of them were into the tech study that we did along yeah, with it. Yeah. But, but we, had, we had a really great time. And then I've also done some for adults as well. I love the podcast, uh, you know, the official show podcast with Mark Evan Jackson. You know, and I've gotten a few books about the show as well, including the, like the Philosopher's Guide to the Good Place, where university professors in philosophy connecting what they're working on with uh, aspects of the show. So similar not, to what we're doing. Yes, I've not seen that yet. And maybe we'll have to all go in together on a on a Jewish project like that. Have you yeah. read Mike have you read Mike Shear's book yet? I did read Mike Shear's book. That was a lot of fun. And now every time I'm in the parking lot, I'm sitting there debating about whether or not I should put my grocery cart in the stand. Should I walk it back up to the front? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
What you said this be a very simple thing of leaving it in front of my car, making sure it didn't bang into anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's become an existential issue every time I go grocery shopping. You know, one of the previous discussions, we had a little brief reference to the book, which which I've read and my daughter read before I did. And I'm only now thinking about the connection between grocery carts, which is one of these many daily ethical dilemmas that he mentions in the book, and how grocery carts feature in the, the Eleanor story of her of her demise on Earth. <laughs> yeah. Grocery stores generally, I think, which will which will pop up in this episode too. So maybe we'll have to do a, a book review episode and maybe even we'll get the author himself somehow to, to come and chat with us. I bet he would do it. He's, yeah, that would be that would be great. And I think uh, one of the great things about the show is, and what, what made it so great, is how into it you know, everybody was. The, uh, Michael and all of the actors and actresses, you really get that full sense through the podcast and all of the writers and everybody, you know, you just get the sense that this was, you know, a, a really special project for for everybody involved. And I think that that that's part of what made it so good. So we are here to talk about Chapter Thirty One, Jeremy Baramy, and why don't you tell us about it, Mark? So Chapter Thirty One, Jeremy Baramy, written by Megan Amram and directed by Trent O'Donnell. The humans catch Michael and Janet at the portal and demand answers. Michael explains about the good place, the bad place, the points, and what has happened with them so far. Now that they know everything, their motivation for goodness is compromised and they can no longer earn points. Michael explains that time in the afterlife is not linear, but is Jeremy Baramy. Michael and Janet retreat to write up the, their findings and a manifesto to leave for the judge before they are retired. Chidi decides that everything is meaningless. Tahani decides to give away all of her money anonymously, and Jason helps her. They get married so Tahani can give half of her wealth to him. Eleanor decides to go back to her life of selfishness, but after she returns a lost wallet she tried to steal but couldn't, Eleanor pitches a plan to reunite the six to save the souls of other people. All right. This is, of course, and, a great and Oh, yeah, you're going to say? I was just going to say, it shows the Wikipedia of it when it says give have instead of half. Oh, that's me actually. Most oh. of our summaries I do edit from Wikipedia, but this one I, I attached together ah. myself. Sorry okay. about that. Sorry, well, sorry. Well, <laughs> well recovered. <laughs> yes, I'll have to I'll have to dock dock my points and not Wikipedia for that. Oh, this is one of these uh, classic episodes, both for the, the Jeremy Baramy idea and just all kinds of other ways. Should we just before we get into conceptual things, you wanna just fan you at all? Any anything you just loved, chuckled about? I mean, I, I love this episode. I think this is really, you know, as, as much as the end of season one you know, was such an important pivot point, I think this is that next pivot point. You know, that even though it's coming midway through season three, right, the, it shifts the entire dynamic of what's going to happen, how they relate to one another, and, and what the arc of the story is going to be through really the end of the show. Yeah, uh, so. I, I I totally agree with you, and and I actually I'm not I'm sure I was thinking about it that way as such a as such a twist as as you're putting it. That's really good. By the way, I love that we are doing this episode after the pre after the next one. 
because what could be more Jeremy Barry than to record out of order? Oh, that is so good. <laughs> I feel so much better. <laughs> yes, Thank I, you. I know you planned it that way. I wish I could say that I had planned it that way. This is the I on the... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I love Chidi's whole sequence of beginning from broke me. And he just has that great way with his with his voice. And yeah. at the end of his lecture there, after he tells yeah. his students that you can all jump up your own butts, and he says, <laughs> goodbye. And then he starts singing the song. <laughs> right? So you were talking in the last episode about the lack of music. Here we have Chidi singing. Oh, right? he does. You want to the, try to sing his that? chili song, right? <laughs> That's right. You put the beeps in the chili. <laughs> That's right. Before we had not a song but a rap. We had the Kierkegaard rap. And, That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned those songs. You you pointed out to me right before we as pushed record that there is a Jeremy Baramy song. You wanted to drop in a, a short clip of that? Yeah. Yeah. So so this is a, a fan-based music, but it was endorsed by by the show itself on YouTube. So And this is a fun episode too. It's got a lot of Jason here. I, I like his whole thing in the in the bank actually. And the banker, great <laughs> little bit role there about you know flagrantly violating the one lollipop per customer. Role. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a it was delivered with such commitment for a bit a bit role. And uh, and then Jason talking about how if he had a lot of money, he'd have gone to a real doctor instead of pretending to be a big dog and going to the vet. <laughs> Yeah, which almost gets into a Breaking Bad reference there, you know. With the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I like Tahani with uh, talking about, about her anonymous gift to the, the opera house that, yes, she, much as she might have added it to her collection of wings and atria. <laughs> <laughs> Something right. in the rhythm there is and, so awesome. and, and she has to get a name drop in there as well. Yeah, I who it was now. I think they did a good job with a couple of little callbacks, both internal and external. And uh, so I just thought that Chidi's sequence post broke me of going to the grocery store, you know, dumping things in, and the checkout line is a seems like a callback to Eleanor's original day of death rampage yeah. through the grocery store. And and then at the end, when I think it's at the end of the lecture, when Eleanor comes in after she has her, her wallet epiphany, and, and she says to him something about even though the future seems bleak. And this may be very esoteric, but uh, you know, at the, when Frozen came out, I had a little kid and we had to listen to Frozen and the, and the Frozen extras over and over again. And there is a line in one of the songs that didn't make it in where they, our future is bleak, which is not said by Kristen Bell's Princess Anna, mm. but still seems like a little, a little cute thing dropped in for those of us who need, who need layers on layers. And what is a rabbi, if not someone who's looking for extra layers? Extra layers. layers. <laughs> Did you have any other lines or scenes that just broke you up particularly? Uh, the, the bank scene is great. I love that the cab driver. That's right back where we started from. 
<laughs> right? Which again, then, Ooh. is a Jeremy Barry, right? It's a Ooh. looping around. Very good. Everything in there is just so carefully done, so well thought out. Well, you're already, I think, starting to to win me over. I have noticed that some of the episodes that I've loved the most for their comedy, I have found the hardest kind of Jewishly, meaning that where where I feel like there's a a breaking point with a Jewish idea that it just doesn't just doesn't mesh at all. And and I should take this opportunity to repeat that the point of the podcast here is not at all to say that the good place is some Jewish exposition of, of right. Torah at all. I mean, we've said I've said from the start that there are times when the good place may have a better job of articulating an idea or supplying an idea than even our our, our great Jewish sources do. And I was starting by thinking really about this question of of time and how I, I initially this idea of of Jeremy Baramy kind of rubs me wrong because I feel like the idea of teshuva of going back and you know drawing on our experience either to like think about something we're conscious of in the past and and making it right or returning to some prior thing depends on our perception of time and this whole Jeremy Baramy thing really you know in that sense bothers me how could it possibly be that we ever learn or, or go back if there is no if there is no back but I think you're starting to say that there that it's that it's not quite that simple yeah I think that the first thing that I thought about when I saw the show originally there's a comment by Rashi when trying to explain something that seems out of sequence in the Torah he just puts it out there there is no such thing as earlier or later in the Torah. So on the one hand, right, that is a, a statement that it was all given in a single moment, right, at, at Sinai. But I think on another level, it's saying that life doesn't work as linearly as we want it to. And the best example in the Torah, you know, where a lot of the sages agree, is the whole episode of the golden calf, right, feels out of place in the telling of the story. And you know, they go through all sorts of Jeremy Baramies to be able to talk about, you know, either where it does belong or where, why it, it belongs, where, where it is. So do you want to just back that up and lay that out for people who may not be familiar with the storyline in that part of the Torah? So if you're going linearly, you would expect that after Moses spends the 40 days up at Mount Sinai, then comes down and there's the golden calf incident, and then goes back up for the additional 40 days, and then would come down and they would start work on building the Mishkan, the, the traveling sanctuary. Right? But instead, the golden calf story comes in the middle of the building of the, the the Mishkan. So all the instructions for building the Mishkan come first, then there's the golden calf incident, and then they go forward and build it. So the rabbis are asking, why, why is this here and not where it should have been before? And their response is that the Torah doesn't work in, in a linear fashion. Some of them try and go into a little bit more detail on it, but mostly they just sort of put it out there in the same way you know, that on the show. And I remember as a rabbinical student, you know, first year when I studied this, you know, and I was very much in the rationality, the academic study, etc. And say, you know, how can you just say that? Right? It was almost like that cheaty broke me type of moment for me. But I've come to see it and see how that works, not just in Torah, but I think often in life. There's a lot of times where 
we think we're done with a certain chapter of our lives. And then suddenly we're looping around and people who we hadn't interacted with in a long time end up finding their way back into our lives. Uh, I, I just had this at, at camp. I was up at Camp Vermont in New England for two months. That's where I was with Elliot Goldberg. And I got back and I posted a video of my son giving a Devar Torah and somebody who my wife had worked with when she was right out of graduate school. We were very close with for many years, but have lost contact as people do once kids are in the world. Writes on a post saying, oh, he was the CIT for, for my son. And all of a sudden, this person who we really hadn't had much connection with over the last 15 to 20 years is now back into our lives in a new way in the next generation. So you see sort of that looping around and camp it in and of itself. And the, the whole idea that you can just pick right up right after 10 months with friends and you're different. You've gone through all of these different experiences and yet you come back into that place and you're able to continue as, as if there had not been 10 months in between. So I... I am pushing back a bit still. My resistance, I think, comes from that that experience, the the camp experience or somebody returning to your life is still is still kind of a memory. There's still kind of past and future, or you know, there's past. And it seems like what happens in the good place is that there are these loops back that we are aware of, but the characters don't experience themselves. In this episode, you know, Eleanor goes back and she has her her fit at the bar. And uh, where she says, you know, this is the rule. I can say it's my birthday and you right. have to give me, even though, and I can tell you it's not, and I'm still going to demand my, my free drink. And we're, we're of course, and, I mean, and it's my birthday tomorrow too. And it's my birthday tomorrow, <laughs> which is, which goes to your point, I guess, about right. right. And, the, and in her life, I suppose it doesn't matter what day anything is in, her, in that iteration, but we've still got in our minds, this scene of Michael and the bar at the end of her first, you know, her first, I don't know what you would call it, resurrection. And so we know that she's iterating through this, but she doesn't. And she thinks she just you know, dodged, dodged a grocery cart, lived for another year, met a bartender, went to Australia, and is now, now has experienced a major bummer in terms of the nature of the universe. And, and sort of, we're sort of meant to get that these other things that have happened in Jeremy Baramy time have changed her, you know, that that's the reason why, that the reason that she can't steal that that wallet is not because not only because of the ethics seminar with Chidi and the gang this time around in Australia, but because of all these other things. And, you know, that's what kind of, you know, it's like, what do I do with that? Like, for me, theologically, that's great. I love to think about the, I don't really love to, but I mean, I don't mind thinking about the, the, the nature of time, but it doesn't, you know, my daily life, my own ability to apply ethical philosophy <laughs> sort of depends on my experiencing my life as it happens in sequence. So, so I kind of wonder what they're getting at here and how it, and how it works. Yeah, I mean, it does have a reincarnation aspect to it, I almost, and that isn't completely foreign to Judaism either, right? The the concept of Gilgul Hanafesh, that our souls continue to to go on, and at least some people think it will re-inhabit and, and, and that we keep trying to get better, and that will be what brings the Mashiach. So I think there is that, a little bit of that notion. It's certainly not mainstream Jewish thought. But it is it is definitely out there among the Kabbalists. But yeah, I to come back to a place 
and to experience it again, but in a different way that, because you're not always conscious of it. Mm. You're not always conscious of how you've changed. To a certain extent, it's only looking back afterwards that you can see, oh, yeah, this summer was a really different summer experience because of what I went through during the course of that year. And so in that way, I think that that's where I see the connection between it, right? because, because we're not thinking about who we were a year ago when we go there. Mm. We're thinking about linear, but things have, so things have, we go, we both go back and we, we are different. But I think also if you know the deja vu moments that you have in life where you're just standing there and whether it's a smell or something about what you're looking at or somebody who you're talking to or you hear a voice that sounds like something and you feel like it is a place where you have been before, mm. but you can't name it. So I've moved on from where I was as a first year medical student, thankfully, mm. and I've learned to embrace the unknowable and to, to accept that I can't reason my way through everything. That was it, really hard for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, as we're talking, I, I think I've been on this long thing in the course of many of these podcast episodes of thinking about the original quote from Rabbi Moses Maimonides, where teshuva is essentially either finding yourself in a situation you recognize or taking your back to a situation you recognize and making a conscious different choice. And what you're saying is that they, the insight here and the, the good place insight is that, that that happens, but not through our consciousness. And maybe our consciousness at times can get in the way in that, our deliberate attempt to do that. And I guess in the moment where Eleanor is in the bar, I love that scene of trying to put the money back yeah. into, you know, of, you know, of taking it out and stuff. It's so vivid and, and so, so tactile and I don't know, kinetic. And right. she's not really, she's not processing it. It's just, it's happening to her. And it's the, it is that accumulation of so many of, you know, 800 plus reboots in the, in the afterlife, <laughs> plus the, <laughs> plus, plus the seminar and the, the MRI machines and everything. Right. And yeah, she, and she has no idea that that's, what's causing her to be in this uh, yeah, existential crisis moment about can I still, can I not, right? Yeah, and I love what you're what you're saying, which is that, which is that looking back, we can then put it together in a sense into a into a timeline because they've been sort of they, you know Michael didn't say okay reboot one did this reboot two like it didn't seem like they got the whole like they got their life story read back to them. Uh, in that initial scene, but but this happens, and then and now Eleanor is trying to sort of recreate it, and she goes back to Chidi, and as always happens, where Chidi is the one who's the philosopher. This drives me crazy as the person who wants thinks yeah, I am maybe a Chidi. That Chidi's like I can't I can't think myself way out of this box, and there are these three ethical philosophies, but all I got now is nihilism. I got I got, right. I got nothing. Yeah, oh, that's um, such a great when 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 he tries to answer the, the, the student's question at the end. I mean, it's like you sum up everything there like in, in one minute. Yeah. He lays out all the moral philosophy. <laughs> and he's got it. And, and then when he's saying his, his statement about you get an A and an F or, 
you know, right. or nothing, you know, is essentially Michael's Jeremy Bear Me speech. You know, it's the dot is exactly the dot. It's Tuesday. It's July. It's never. You know? And and then he and then we get the flashback. Not that it's a flashback, but the little clips in of as he explains these philosophies. He's now dissing. We're getting these clips of Tahani, you know, giving away the money and and Eleanor returning the the wallet, but which he has he could have access to. He could sort of think about that. Of course, he doesn't know those things are happening. And then Eleanor is the one, you know, as always, who says, you know, essentially, you started, you started us off thinking about these things. Now let me help you, you know, put it into a box. So I don't know that, you know, you were saying that giving up the, the rational, but I think there still is a, a reflective thing. They still have to articulate what they think is the meaning of it. And that's, that's different from trying to maybe reason or calculate your way to a conclusion. I think part of the message of the show as a whole is you know a, a knock on absolute rationalism right i mean with, with chidi who i mean I, I loved what you talked about last week in terms of truth as a kantian right that's all he could think you know that was that there, there, there's there's this one truth and you know, we're supposed to try and, and and get ourselves there and to never lie etc and he realizes that that doesn't work in the world in the same way that you know, the characters and, and Michael are going to come to the conclusion, right, that it's complicated, right? <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> when the judge says, your conclusion is that life is complicated? Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm thinking more and more in, in my own Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of Judaism and the good place that I that I can't have my, my little insights of Maimonides about Teshuvah without the lovely chocolate coating of of reboots and less conscious awareness and 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 the meanderings again i love how you pointed out about the uh, the taxi driver the going back i mean so so subtle to to do that yeah. you mentioned the golden calf as a great episode of uh, so it's you know the prime example of rebellion in the torah the people get the 10 commandments which is essentially their mm. their cheating on steroids <laughs> tutorial from heaven about what the torah is and then 40 days later they're rebelling and and our commentaries certainly think about it as, you know, hedonism or selfishness or fear or any of those things. And I'm just sort of playing around with how you're saying that what leads them into that and out of that. They're also involved in this project, as you said, of building their sanctuary, which I guess is supposed to secure them in this by having some sort of structure in which to live this way, but they can't get there or they don't get there in the right order. I don't know, I'm playing around with that. Yeah, it's interesting that that building the sanctuary could both be a well-intentioned step on making the Torah teaching secure, but it also could be that the sanctuary is the the backup plan in light of failure, and that in some sense both of those things could be true. That's the Jeremy Barrameness maybe of it, right. right? And and that the original altar you know was supposed to be hewn stone, right? And then it ends up being this much more elaborate inlaid with gold again and this gets into i think you know, trying to use bad for good so you know the gold from the golden calf they don't just leave it in the trash pile right? it gets you know just like the broken tablets right get put into the ark and you carry it with you but the the gold from the golden calf you know, gets it's gets put into this dust but I think that there's also a piece of the gold that's on the inlay of the Kodashakodashim I think also somehow is connected with the golden cow. Oh, that the very holy of holies can somehow have some of the material. Yeah. And that goes back to your to your Jeremy Barami thing, I think, also, which is that sometimes we can be, we should be even completely unaware 
of how our previous thing is sort of reflected in this new moment for us. That's a that's a good moment or a moment of of teshuva for the good. But that uh, yeah, sometimes we should be completely unaware of that, and sometimes it should be pointed out to us, or we might benefit from pointing it out to ourselves. But it's not a it's not a formula. It's not always the case that we should see it. And and I think what happens sometimes later on is that the humans will will in this in this timeline going forward will will get some information from Michael and Janet occasionally about things that have happened before when that's relevant or when it seems like it helps explain or unlock a dilemma that they're in at the moment. But otherwise, they're just going on the the kind of unconscious returns and reruns and reboots that they've had. Yeah. You know, the one other... Oh, yeah, you're going to say. I was going to, to, to pivot on one piece on the point system. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, actually, please. And, and especially thinking about it this week when we're at Parshat Re'eh, because here is the one place where I think that it differs. Well, there's a, a bit of a similarity, but a real strong difference from, from Jewish thought. So you're thinking about that when, as we are recording, we're reading in the Torah from this section, which it will drop into the notes. And so it tells us right that we have before us blessing and curse, and it's up to us to make those choices. The fact that we know that there seems to be some consequence to it does not lessen our responsibility to, to do the mitzvah. Mm. And doing the mitzvah you know, from a point of view where you are upset about having to do it in the good place world would mark you as negative points because you didn't have good motivations, then you're doing the good deed will be negated. That's not how it works, and certainly not according to Maimonides, and even more so, I think about Ahu Leibovitch, who says, it's exactly when you are doing the mitzvah that you don't want to do, that you wish you didn't have to do, but you're doing it anyway. That's the highest level Mm. of mitzvah, according to to Leibovitch, right? Because you are only doing it for the sake that God has commanded you. Well, and I think that this is sort of the, I think the way Eleanor puts it is, I made a dork and his untalented daughter super happy by <laughs> returning that drawing, which brings me all the way back to the to the pilot of the of the whole series where, you know, among the things you get points for, I think were to do something like uh, go to your cousin's kids excruciating violin recital or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because the this is the other thing that I was having a problem about, about this episode, which is the idea that their awareness of the point system and and now knowing that there's a formula for that that could motivate them takes away the possibility that they could they could earn any points that to me seemed like very not jewish and i think we've talked before about the you know in judaism mixed motivations and even bad motivations as you're saying are are awesome and and i think what you just said is that in some ways it's the proof if you can well no i think you said i think you said it you, you were making a different point about that but but often you know judaism will take bad motivations in support of a of a good thing and so you know, I was like, hmm, you know, when Michael laid out that now that you know this, it's tough. No, no more points for you ever. That I was like, okay, I, there I'm, I'm, I like my system better than the good place. You know, <laughs> yeah. There. yeah, absolutely. And that's actually something that runs throughout the show, even with Tahani in real life, you know, where she was doing it for the glamour, for the, she was doing good work. She was giving you know, money that was helping people's lives. And in the end, that, is you know at least how i understand 
what Judaism says about how we're going to be judged. To the extent that we have a point system, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of the mitzvah point system. Yeah. If, determining whether we get into the world to come or not. I know that they're, that's certainly widely held in some parts of the community, a widely held belief. But even without that, right, I do believe that there will be a day where we stand before our maker and will be held account for, for our lives and how we have worked to, to, to make other people's lives better, I think is going to be the ultimate at least I like to believe that that's going to be the ultimate way that we are judged. And sure. So, and when, yeah. And when we say that out loud, that we, we find that motivating. We don't find that to be taking away points to acknowledge that that's what's, what's driving us or what we think should orient us. That is the purpose, right? <laughs> to, to a certain degree. Yeah. So the only thing I do like about Michael's setup of this a corrupt motivation issue is that it does allow Tahani to to then reach her next insight, you know, since she's deprived or so she thinks of the ability to, to earn points in any way, she now can sort of hits on the paradox of now I can do things for their own sake. And, and it'll, you know, whether it's not going to help me, but it'll be, it'll sort of be good in a different way. It'll be, it'll be maybe equally good, but without whatever bad came from her, her self, you know, attention seeking motivations. And, and it's, a, I think it's a really cool in Tahani's arc, it's a, it's an it's a tremendous turning point. Eleanor and Chidi both go into their versions of you know essentially s selfish. I mean, Chidi's nihilist move is kind of selfish that way too. And even even Jason's move is sort of like, if I had money, I could have done these things for myself, you know. But they but they were good things. I mean, his health is is worthwhile. <laughs> he should right. Go, he shouldn't go to the vet. You know. <laughs> 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 so. I think that's veterinary. Yeah. No. Not at all, just you know, for the appropriate species. Right. And Jason, but Tahani's the one who, in in some sense, unlocks the unlocks the secret to this. And I think the idea of committing their lives to both helping others, but in a sense, raising other people's points, saving their souls, is so brilliant. And that again, that's that you know, whatever whatever negative good place points I'm going to assign to the the designers there in in the uh, the writers' room for corrupt motivations, I'm going to give him like tons of points for hitting on this. That is a brilliant transformation. And I think I was talking about, I think it was with Dan Ross previously about the Peter Singer kind of thing of the best thing to do would be to become an investment banker, make a lot of money and give that money away. You know, that would be the, essentially your, your Tahani, your Tahani assessment. But, but the best thing to do would be to, to go in together with some other person. One of you become an investment banker and one of you become right. a really good do-gooder and, and the one can fund, the one who's really good at raising, at making money can fund the one who's much better at, at actually helping people. And in a way that's what they're coming up with. Like our role is going to be to, to save other people's soul. And, and, and that's, in the aggregate is going to be great for for humanity maybe not for us individually but for can i throw in a better call saul spoiler sure i don't know if you've watched i haven't okay so this it just came to an end a couple of weeks ago and there is a question saul raises towards the end of the the season of if you could go back to one moment where would it be and he chooses at one point to go back to, I think it's May 1st, 1965, when Warren Buffett took over Berkshire Hathaway and said he would give him all of his money and then he would be a billionaire or trillionaire by this point. But 
he doesn't take that next step to him, you know, and, and the whole challenge of him right, is it's all just about the money, thinking that that's what is going to bring happiness. And you know, it was so stark with that he brought up Warren Buffett because Warren Buffett is is really almost the model of what you were saying you know, from Peter Singer. And mm. he he's really worked to try and not only give away his own money, but to be encouraging you know, the other multi-billionaires to, to do likewise. And, and, and I forgot what the pledge was, but, you know, I think it's like to give away at least 50% of your money yeah, while you're yeah, alive. Yeah. So it was funny that in that show, he gets the Warren Buffett idea of making a lot of money, right? But, but isn't able to take that next step of using it for good. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about maybe doing a, a podcast episode here about philanthropy and maybe Tahani and the, the Al-Jamil family in, mm. in terms of looking at some lenses at that. The best thing obviously is to to use your money to support people who themselves, you know, aren't, aren't big money makers, but are the geniuses at, at social change and empowerment and, and poverty relief. And, and I'm thinking as you're saying that, that, that this is what makes uh, Jason and Tahani in this episode kind of a cool mm. team. You know, she immediately goes to her world of opera houses and, right. and he says, wait, I've got, a, I've got this other idea. Why don't we just give a lot of different people money who need it. And then this thing about the chin guitar <laughs> to the violinist. And then, but then he integrates that with also like, and, and me, like I'm, I'm someone whose destiny, you know, could be different with some money and, uh, and it's okay to, to do that. And uh, yeah. And so that, that actually puts an interesting spin on their marriage because it is this bringing together of these two people who came from such different experiences and are thinking about, money in such different ways right and it sort of needs to a certain degree both of them there <laughs> we had that previous thing in, a, in one of the previous episodes where eleanor got the eighteen thousand dollar the high thousand dollar lottery yeah. ticket and the honey was or- originally disappointed it's like but i understand in context that is a lot of money yeah, yeah. it's so good it's so good so, Mark, do you want to call out anybody in your earlier life who helped get you started thinking about ethical philosophy or ethics? I think when I really first started to think about it seriously was when I was in college at Michigan and reading David Hume. Oh, David Hume. I remember the book well, and it just started me thinking about these issues and developing my interest in, in philosophy. And then the other person, from a Jewish standpoint, would be the rabbi, Lenny Kravitz, who taught at Hebrew <laughs> Union College in New York. Very, very different from the musician. <laughs> he was a bit eccentric in his teaching. Again, sort of opened my eyes to the depth of Jewish thought that really hadn't been talked about a lot. You know, right? It was mostly studying Torah, studying the Jewish law, but the deep philosophical undertone was something that I hadn't had, had much exposure to. And I think it's helped Certainly during my rational days, it was really important for me to have that. But even now, I think I still draw back on that. Um, some of his classes, and I can see him up there scribbling away on the top mm-hmm. Well, Mark Israel, it's great to meet you and great to talk to you. Great to meet you as well. And this is, this is fabulous. I love that you're doing and That we're all doing this. Yes, terrific. And that's all for another episode of Tove. Thank you for listening today. 
don't forget to subscribe so you can get each episode as it drops and help other people find out by giving the podcast a good rating or just telling them about it. Show notes and generally interesting links and resources and explanations of terms we use are at tovegoodplace.com. We would love to hear from you with feedback, ideas, and questions, so drop us a note at tove at tovegoodplace.com or do it through our social media at tovegoodplace. Mark Israel, that's Mark with a C. He's on Twitter, at Rabbi Israel, Instagram, at Mark underscore Israel, and on Facebook, at Mark D. Israel. Check out the congregation he serves online at tikvatisrael.org. How many other congregations have their rabbi's name in their name? I'm John Spirisavet, on the web at rabbijohn.net, which is J-O-N, John, and on Twitter and Instagram at rabbijs3. And our congregation is online at tbanashua.org. Thanks again for taking time for us. Now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.